came a long way. That's what the song say. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah, we came a long way. Hey, what's up? What's going on? And welcome to the Be Real Podcast, where we keep it real on social issues, history, news, faith, and everything in between. It's your one-stop podcast with thought-provoking talk and real content. Now, it's time to get real with your host, Brandon Mosley. Hey, what's going on? You already know what it is. Swag it out. I could do all things, yeah, yeah. We come a long way, and that's what the songs say. I can do all things, yeah, yeah. You can do all things. What is going on, guys? Thank you, thank you. Welcome back to our fifth episode. We're almost halfway done with the first season. First season's 12 episodes long. So I'm happy, happy that you are still tuning in with me. I appreciate all the uh, comments and I appreciate the uh, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't done so yet, please do so and leave a review. I really appreciate it. And also, don't forget, you can leave me a voicemail through um, Anchor. I've received a couple so far. I'd love to hear more. So thank you guys and continue to uh, listen and continue to share. If you like the podcast, please make sure you share with your friends, either through social media or through other means. Don't forget to also like my Facebook page and also the Instagram page under Be Real Podcast. So we are back in this thing again. And this time we're talking about a different subject, uh, something new, um, but something that's been plaguing America since it's very... Uh, start inception. So with that being said, today's subject is anti-immigration. And we're going to talk about the idea of immigration in America and the things that people who try to migrate to America um, has gone through because of some of the policies. And we're going to focus mainly on Spanish speaking uh, countries like Mexico and those in the Northern Triangle. And we'll get into all that stuff soon. But these policies are truly affecting people. And we've been taught that America is a melting pot. And America has been made great because of its immigrants. And it's a nation of immigrants. But the more I look through and Google and research, I find out that there's a lot of people who really don't see America as a country of immigrants. So listen listen to this real quick. Ultimately, America is a a country of colonists. It's a country of frontiersmen. It's a country of the cowboy. It's a country of the the conqueror. But weren't cowboys immigrants, basically? Weren't they, you know... No, immigrants is someone like, you're coming from somewhere, usually as an individual or with a family, and you're integrating into a a pre-established culture. Like, people who came to North America, I mean, they, they were taking a leap into the unknown. It's totally different. A history of immigrants, it's kind of lame, you know? <laughs> well, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and what, a bunch of people, they wash up on square well, and scurry around. Oh, can I have a job? Nope. So we see there that Richard Spencer, the leader of the alt-right or alternative right, has created a new, how can I say, scenario or narrative that for some reason, somehow, America is not a country of immigrants, but the country of cowboys. Cowboys are actually brown and black normally. 
Majority of them. Hmm, that's crazy. So to think about that, right? And that it's the idea of people coming over to a established country and the people who came before left on a leap of faith and built this country. Um, all immigrants do that. That's silly, right? So understand this is a new reality that we're living in that people truly believe that may listen to or watch Fox News who subscribe to the far right ideas and that are just simply xenophobic, right? So when I think about immigrants, the very first person I think of um, is my grandfather. My grandfather's from the island of Bahamas. He came over in the late 1940s at the age of 18 with nothing. And I can always remember growing up him telling me how the water was so clear that he could grab a fish, right? And he said he could grab it with his bare hands. Um, and he, he'll talk about how, how beautiful the island was, right? And the idea of he came over to make a better um, life for himself, that there was not much on the island. Can you imagine growing up in the 1940s, you know, uh, in the in the 1930s, early, 1930s and 1940s, I mean, it's not much on that island. And it always instilled in me the idea of pushing and pursuing, right? Um, my grandfather, very first job in America, his first two jobs that he, he, he worked for years before he moved up and got a better job was literally picking oranges in Florida and apples in New York, right? Without boots, um, without the proper gear, and very cold weather, right? And it, it, it just impressed upon me the idea of working hard. And that's many, many immigrants' stories. And I, I can remember back in 2009, I was um, interning on Capitol Hill, and I also was working part-time on the weekends at Nordstrom's um, to put money in my pocket because you know, the internship was for free. And I remember working literally almost 40 days straight, Monday through Friday on the hill, Saturday and Sunday um, at Nordstrom's. And I would work at Nordstrom's, you know, 10 plus hour days. And I will also go out at night too, um, hanging out. So I'll be up all night pretty much. And I remember someone telling me like, how are you doing this? And I, I remember looking at them and telling them, my grandfather. And I was like, what do you mean? And I was thinking of the idea that my grandfather worked so hard for me to have this type of opportunity. And I can't not be outworked. I couldn't be outworked. And I couldn't have excuses. So I, I said, I'll find a way to sleep, but I'm not going to give up on working. And that's the mindset of many people who who come over. And that's the mindset of their, their uh, descendants, right? And that's what makes America great, or I would hope, is the idea of these immigrants, these people who are coming, building a life not only for themselves, but for their future posterity, right? For the generations to come. And that's what my grandfather did for me. So in my mind, that's what an immigrant is. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at the beginning stages of immigration in America the history of immigration and deportation in terms of Mexican-Americans, um, 
what's going on with asylum today? What is it? And the policies um, of asylum and, of course, the historic policies of America when, t- when it comes to immigration. Um, so it's going to be a jam-packed episode. I'm going to put as much as I can into it. I'm not going to be able to go in full details on everything, but it's going to be a great episode, I believe. So let's, do, let's get to it. So in America's first founding document, the Declaration of Independence, something we looked at in the very first episode, and I believe we looked at this portion as well, Thomas Jefferson wrote something really important about immigration. This is what he writes. Speaking of the king, he has endeavored to prevent the population of these states for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migration hither and raising the conditions of new appropriations of law of lands. So Thomas Jefferson is talking about the king not allowing and blocking other European countries from sending people over or people coming from other European nations like Spain, right? Um, or Ireland and the list goes on. And the reason why the king was blocking those people was because he wanted to make sure that they had full allegiance to the crown, right? So he's blocking those people and the colonists thought that was irresponsible, couldn't believe what's happening, that they needed people for labor. They needed people to build the colonies. They thought it, they thought it was wrong. And this is written, of course, in the summer of 1776, 4th of July. You guys know that. But the funny thing is this idea of protecting immigration came from somewhere else. And it came from Thomas Paine's Common Sense that was written in January 1776, or at least released then. And in his Common Sense, we see Thomas Paine fighting for independence away from Great Britain. He says pretty much it's common sense for us to have our own country. And in there, he says this, Europe and not England is the parent country of America. This new world hath been the asylum, hear that, for the persecuted lovers of civil and religious liberty from every part of Europe. So Thomas Paine is setting up the platform for immigration and the idea of bringing people in because of asylum. But his original idea is based off migration from where? Europe, right? And this idea continues to stay in the forefront of America for quite some time. In 1790, March 1790 to be exact, the Nationalization Act was passed. And this act created a pathway for citizenship for any free white person of good character. Remember, the idea of good character is going to play a role throughout the history of immigration. And anyone who's been here for at least two two years. And this is important that they put white people here because there were free African-Americans or Africans in the colonies that were set free by Quakers and things of that nature that we talked about before. 
So they wanted to make sure that the only ones that could become citizens were good character white people, right? But here's the deal. With all that is occurring, by the time the 1800s come, we have a flood of new Europeans coming in. And these Europeans are Irish, they are Italian, they are Catholic, and people of America becoming snooty. They, they now think they are that they own the rights of America. They're looking at the Irish that are coming in and would call them dirty, would call them uh, criminals, unsafe, unsavory uh, character, and they, they thought they were stealing their jobs. So by the 1830s, you will see signs like no Irish need apply. Right. The idea that these Irish people are stealing jobs. That's another idea we hear a lot, even to this day. Then the idea of Catholics and Germans coming in too different. And because they're so different, they're thinking there's no way they can assimilate. That's a problem that we think everyone has to assimilate into America and be exactly cookie cut like everyone else. So with that idea, a new group was formed, a supposed um, secret group, which was originally named the Order of the Star Spangled Banner. And anytime you ask anyone about it, they will say, I don't know nothing about it, bro. I don't know. Right. And that became the name of their party, the Know Nothing Party. Right. That they don't know anything about what you're asking. I, I don't know. So that Know Nothing Party was pushing a platform of Native American not Native American the way we think of indigenous people. Native American, I'm native to America. This is my country. So nativism was the, the, the new push for the, for, the, for the day. And they truly believed that immigrants were going to be a threat to the economy, social and cultural threats, and that they're going to bring crime, disease, and social unrest. And here's another one, a political takeover. And this is the same idea that far-right Republicans are saying about places like Texas or places like California that once was a hub for Reagan, that because of the browning of America, because all the immigrants are coming in, they are taking political power from us. That's their mindset. So this idea is not a new one. It's an old idea that continues to keep up. So that platform of xenophobia got so big that they even was able to receive um, votes for Congress members to get in. They even had a president run, right? Uh, a former president run under their ticket. And this person receives 21% of the vote. This is President Fillmore, right? So formerly of the Whig Party. So we see that they're garnishing some big support. And it reminded me of like the Tea Party. I remember the Tea Party when I was walking off the train um, from when I was walking to Capitol Hill, it was 2009, summer 2009, and these guys would, would pick it and have Obama with a Hitler mustache and would say, you know, they're trying to take over immigrants and things. I'm, I was thinking like, man, who's like, who, who are these nuts, right? Who are these weirdos? Like literally what I was thinking, I'm 21, 22 years old. That's what I'm thinking walking by them. And literally less than, in, the, in about a year later, they have Congress members on the floor and they help create the um, Freedom Caucus. So this is like the same idea 
this the same way these people were pushing for xenophobia to to block off immigrants. This is what we saw back in 09, 08. So after all that, you fast forward to 1882, and this is a brief over of over over timeline of immigration. But you see 1882, you see the Chinese Exclusionary Act. Um, Chinese people were here over 20 years at this time, worked on the railroads, worked on the farms, and some of them started to become successful. People started to find jealousy in that and started to blame them for low wages. So America pursued a act that will say no more Chinese people coming over unless they're, you know, teachers, students, businessmen, and things of that nature. And they extended it. It was supposed to be only 10 years, and they extended it with the Geary Act, and they extended it again after that. So this is what America was doing. This is the first act that was directly pushed towards a certain group. And we, we see this happen, and because of, of that, we see labor starts to dry up in those areas that these white poor whites were saying that these Chinese people were taking their jobs. When the Chinese people left or wasn't coming in, guess what? They weren't taking the jobs. So guess who they ended up giving the jobs to by the turn of the century? Mexicans coming in from Mexico, right? So we have influx of Mexicans coming in um, and all these things are happening. But in the East Coast, we have Italians coming in and they're being called like rats that are going to invade America and bring in crime, disease, and anarchy. Doesn't this sound kind of similar? When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. The fear factor, right? He literally said they're not sending you, saying they're different than you. They're not people. They're criminals. And some may be okay. It's just some. And I remember people saying there's no way he's going to be elected. Matter of fact, now looking this clip up, most of the clips were saying that back then. Right? So people underestimated the idea of fear and xenophobia in America. That same idea of fear created the 1924 Act, where the quotas was 2% of the population of the, of the nation that you're from, they're going to allow in with visas. So the only group that really, how can I say, benefited was the groups that had a lot of people in America already. And those groups happened to be Western Europeans, like UK, Ireland, and Germany. So 70% of those visas went to them. And this fear and this anti-immigration attitude carried to 1939 right before World War II when a ship from Germany by the name of St. Louis tried to dock in Florida and FDR wouldn't allow it. They had almost not over 900 people on the ship and the majority of them was Jewish refugees trying to outrun Hitler. They were sent back um, and research, show, research shows that over 250 of people that were on that ship ended up dying in the Holocaust. So this is what that fear is all about. This is what occurs um, when you see fear. But the crazy thing is this 
we started to make positive moves moves in the 1980s. In 1986, Reagan signs the Amnesty Act that allowed three million people to become citizens. And let's take a listen to a clip with George Bush and President Reagan during a debate in 1980. Yes, my name is David Grossberg, and I'd like to know, do you think the children of illegal aliens should be allowed to attend Texas public schools free, or do you think that their parents should pay for their education? Who are you addressing that to? I think you're first in this. Uh, he was looking right at you. <laughs> I said he was. Look. <laughs> I'd like to see something done about the illegal alien problem that would be so sensitive and so understanding about labor needs and human needs that that problem wouldn't come up. But today, if those people are here, uh, I would reluctantly say I think they would, they would get whatever it is that they're, you know, what the society is giving to their neighbors. But it has, the problem has to be solved. The problem has to be solved because with, as we have kind of made illegal some kinds of labor that I'd like to see legal, we're doing two things. We're creating a whole society of really honorable, decent, family-loving people that are in violation of the law, and secondly, we're exacerbating relations with Mexico. The, cha the, the answer to your question is much more fundamental than whether they attend Houston schools, it seems to me. I don't want to see a whole, if they're living here, I don't want to see a whole, I think it's six and eight-year-old kids being made, you know, one totally uneducated and made to feel that they're living with outside the law, let's address ourselves to the fundamentals. These are good people, strong people. Part of my family is a Mexican. Can I add to that? I think the time has come that the United States and our neighbors, particularly our neighbor to the South, should have a better understanding and a better relationship than we've ever had. And I think that we haven't been sensitive enough to our size and our power. They have a problem of 40 to 50% unemployment. Now, this cannot continue without the possibility arising with regard to that other country that we talked about, of Cuba and what it is stirring up, of the possibility of trouble below the border and we could have a very hostile and strange neighbor on our border. Rather than making them or talking about putting up a fence, why don't we work out some recognition of our mutual problems, make it possible for them to come here legally with a work permit, and then while they're working and earning here, they pay taxes here. And when they go on to go back, they can go back and they can cross and open the border both ways by understanding their problems. This is the only safety valve right now they have with that unemployment that probably keeps the lid from blowing off down there. And I think we could have a, friend, a fine relationship and it would solve the problem you mentioned also. Fine people? Good people? We shouldn't build fences? Open border to allow them to come in for work and leave back out? Be sensitive to their needs? Making sure six and eight-year-olds don't feel like they're illegal? That doesn't sound like anything we just heard from Trump. It's like, how do we get from that place to where we are today, right? And when we look at it, it's clearly been happening over the last, you know, really 15, 20 years that the GOP started to go further and further right away from what we saw in the 80s. And even what we saw from Bush Jr., um, pushing with McCain and the Democrats to create a path for 
um, immigrants for citizenship. And the Republican Party turned down President Bush, John McCain, and the Democrats and said it was too close to amnesty of Reagan, who was like a god in their party. So they really completely did a 180 from their original stance that they had in the 80s and working towards in the 90s as well. So the GOP has now embraced the ideas of the Tea Party, of the Freedom Caucus, and these ideas are rooted back in the xenophobic party of the Know Nothing Party. So they literally won a campaign based off of xenophobia, building a wall, creating fear as if these people are dangerous, that they will do you harm. So talking about Mexico, let's look at the the history of immigration and deportation, really, with America. So we see in the time of the Great Depression in the 1930s, America's trying to get back on their feet. You got Hoover as your president, then FDR, trying to figure something out. So what they decided to do was deport 1.8 million people of Mexican descent. So in L.A., the L.A. Welfare Department started to deport hospital patients back to Mexico that were Mexican descent. They even deported a patient that had leprosy. They took her back to Mexico, Cali, right? They took mental ill patients. They took old. They took the sick, the paralyzed, no matter. They put them in a car and drove them back to the border, right? And they called these repatriation drives, right? And they were impromptu. They were illegal. And literally 60% of the people who were deported actually was American citizens. They were born in America, but for some reason, they needed to go back to Mexico, right? And at that time, many of those people didn't even speak Spanish. A lot of them was English-speaking people of Mexican descent sent back, quote-unquote, to Mexico, right? And people really believed that these Mexican-Americans was taking up all the resources and taking jobs that should be um, for only American people. And when they said American people, they actually put in before that white Americans, right? And it was so bad that they even did raids in places that they thought um, Mexican-Americans would hang out. So one place they went to in 1931, they rounded up over 400 people at La Placenta Park in L.A. They just took four, over 400 people that were Mexican descent that are out there hanging out, maybe having a barbecue. I don't know. And in the middle of a barbecue, hanging out with your, with your kids and having a good time, literally authorities came and grabbed them all up and put them in buses or vans and sent them back to the border. And I hate saying back to the border because they were Americans, right? And this Repatriation Act wasn't federally endorsed per se, but Hoover created a slogan that said American jobs for real Americans, right? And even had the Secretary of Labor help pass local laws arranging to prevent Mexican-Americans 
from holding certain jobs. They even made it difficult or actually banned them from having federal jobs, right? And went as far as to contact with, with certain companies like uh, U.S. Steel, Ford, uh, Southern Pacific Railroad, to have them agree to lay off Mexican-Americans from their jobs. Um, and here's the deal. None of that actually helped the economy. It actually hurt the economy, right? With less people in the economy to, to, to spend money, less people to pay taxes, less people to, to take on jobs that a lot of Americans wouldn't take on, right? And this is where we're at. In the 1940s, during World War II, less than a decade after this this mass deportation, America has a shortage of labor, and especially in agriculture. So guess what they do? They created a program, the Becerra program, to bring people in. Makes no sense. So the people you kicked out are the people you need now to help your economy, right? To help ensure that you get food on people's table, tables, right? So you bring these people in and they had to do an arrangement with Mexico where they guaranteed 30 cents a day at least per, for work. And that's $4.51 of today's money and that they will be treated fairly and that no Texas farms will receive any of these employees. And the reason why is because Texas was known to be extremely anti-immigrant, anti-Mexican, right? Where you, where you didn't want to go to Texas. So they, so Mexico did not want to bring or allow their people there. And the other part of the deal was Mexico will keep a portion of the money for the Viceros and give it to them when they come back to Mexico. That never happened, by the way. So the Mexican government kept their portion, um, millions of dollars in today's money, right? So what Texas farmers did do, though, they encouraged undocumented people to cross the border to work for them and that they would pay them less money, of course, and they wouldn't give any of their money to Mexico, right? So that's, that's what happened. But with all that occurring, you had some people getting really upset with all these Mexican-Americans coming over. And they had an idea. But before I get to the idea, I want you to hear this uh, from Trump praising this said idea. Moved a million and a half illegal immigrants out of this country. Moved them just beyond the border, they came back. Moved them again beyond the border, they came back. Didn't like it. Moved them way south, they never came back. So... He's talking about an operation that was pursued and pushed by Eisenhower, the same Eisenhower that um, helped with school integration, right? The same Eisenhower that helped us win World War II, the general. And this operation was a military-style operation named Operation Wetback. Yes, a racial derogatory term was a federal name for an operation to deport millions of Mexican-Americans or um, migrant people, right? And this is how it happened. In the 1950s, you had a person who was over the border control by the name of Harlan Carter. This fella killed a Latino person when he was 17 years old, convicted of it. I don't know how he ended up over the border control and also the president of the NRA. Um, 
he got frustrated with seeing and angry with seeing all these Mexicans in America. And he started to pursue to try to convince Eisenhower to ramp up immigration enforcement. So Eisenhower finally said yes, but he said no to one big deal. Carter wanted to use the National Guard. And Eisenhower said no to that because he didn't feel enforcing Operation Wetback uh, needed military because you're not supposed to use military in domestic law. Keep that in mind. So this term, by the way, wetback comes from Texas. And I apologize for using that term, but it comes from Texas. And the idea was that migrants would cross the Rio Grande uh, to come over to Texas. And that was the term that Southern Texans used. And that's part of the reason why Mexico didn't want their people to work in Texas. Also, there was a thing called, I don't know, lynching. There was also um, oppression, just to name a few uh, reasons why they didn't want Mexican people in Texas. Yes, Mexicans were lynched as well. So this border patrol started to threaten Southern Texas um, employers and telling them they were going to take their employees and they're going to do raids. So those Southern Texan employers, like the farms and things of that nature, started to hire armed guards. So Carter paid it no mind and just started pushing in like California, L.A. and uh, San Diego and started to do sweeps and raids of factories, farms, homes and public areas to deport these people. Um, and he would pack them onto trains, boats, plan- um, and planes. And he deported uh, nearly 1.5 million people. And many of those people died uh, due to sunstroke and things of that nature. Same way in the earlier mass deportation in the 1930s, where they were just sending people. Um, so this is what America did to, to Mexican-Americans and Mexican migrants. So now we are here in present day, and we're going to talk about asylum. So I want you to hear something from our president, President Donald Trump. The asylum program is a scam. Some of the roughest people you've ever seen, people that look like they should be fighting for the UFC. They read a, a little page given by lawyers that are all over the place. You know, the lawyers. They tell them what to say. You look at this guy, you say, wow, that's a tough cookie. I am very fearful for my life. I am very worried that I will be accosted. If I'm sent back home, no, no, he'll do the accosting. Well, many of these seekers are women and children fleeing violence, we're told, and gang violence and murder and crime. Uh, so this is actually from Fox News, and you heard the anchor at the end saying, actually, many of the people are women and children. Um, so the idea of a single male coming over has drastically decreased since 2012. So since 2012, there's been mainly families coming over. So understand that Trump is saying, like, this asylum thing is a, is a joke. It's a scam. These are super buff, dangerous looking guys trying to come over for asylum. And remember, asylum is all about 
you know, seeking protection from being persecuted at home and you need to find a safe haven. Right. Um, And he's making it seem like these people are dangerous people. Right. And, And for some reason, there's a narrative that all these people who are coming are coming from Mexico. No, they're not coming. They don't. They're they are not originally from Mexico. They're from the Northern Triangle, which is three countries, Guatemala, El Salvador and Honduras. Right. And in the 1950s through the 1980s, that whole area, Central America and, you know, South America and a lot of Latin countries had a lot of civil war, uh, political unrest and lack of security. And a lot of that stemmed from America going in and bothering these countries. Right. Trying to put in their own leadership and things of that nature. So it's really stems from America, by the way. So these people are traveling. If they go to Texas, 932 miles. If they go to California, 2,175 miles to the border. Right. Some of them are walking and some of them taking another route, which we'll get to. But they are literally facing extortion, kidnapping, assault and human trafficking. And we hear a lot of people talking about human trafficking and kidnapping, things of that nature um, in the last few weeks, the GOP. But what about these people who are facing those same exact fears and issues? Where's the compassion for them? Right. And if they not, if they decide not to go by foot, they take the labesa. I'm not the best in Spanish. Hopefully I said it right. You feel me? Um, I got a C in Spanish. Uh, that was one of my worst grades in high school right there. But anyways, um, it's a cargo freight train that they will ride on the top of and they risk not only their lives if they fall off. At the very least, they're risking risk to lose a limb if they fall off. Right. Either life or limb. One of those two is going to end up happening. And in many cases, they are forced to pay $100 just to get on on top of a train, a free train. But gang, gang members would would uh, force them to pay extortion to pay $100. And if not, they're either going to get beat up or push off the train or both. Right. And and be left for dead. So this is what's happening. So if this is such a farce or uh, a scam, I don't think people will travel this far and go through all these things just to fake it, right? They're leaving their home because lack of security and gangs are running their cities, right? They're being threatened. They've seen family members be killed right in front of their faces, right? From gang members, right? This is what's happening to them. So they're getting to the Mexico border uh, or the border of America from Mexico through Mexico, I'm sorry, and they're seeking asylum. But here's the deal. Trump has a metering system that only allows a limited amount of cases every day. He's trying to slow down asylum. And on top of that, since 2012, there's already been a backlog of cases. And now people can wait almost five years before their case is completely, you know, done and that the decision is made. And they have to fill out a 12 page application in English. And if you need help, here's a 14 page manual to teach you how to fill out the application also in English. So with all that being said, if they do, they get a number and they have to wait like it's the DMV for months on end. So that's much worse. And 
if they do get an interview, it's a credibility of fear interview. If they pass that interview, they used to be able to go to a host family in America. But guess what Trump does now? He sends the people back to Mexico to wait out until their case is done, which could be about five years in some cases. So this is what's happening. And with all that being said, people are starting to find another way for the asylum. So they use the defensive way and defensive way is going, coming into America, uh, migrating into America undocumented, what people will call legal. I don't like to use that term, but that's what, that's what it is, right? Um, undocumented way to enter into America. And normally they will find a border patrol officer to turn themselves in to start the process. And since the zero tolerance started and supposedly stopped, um, they are now charged with a criminal offense for crossing the border, right? Where it used to be a misdemeanor. Um, and they start the asylum process, but they're sent to a detention center um, that many has been described similar to POW camps, right? And they're separated from their children. At one point, they were being separated from their children. And now, suppose that doesn't happen anymore. But these places are overcrowded. Many has described the water as being um, foul, the, the water, dark in color, and the glass has a thick settlement. So they're giving them dirty water, in essence, right? Contaminated water. So on top of all that, they're saying the centers are filthy. There's no beds. Some are outdoors with tents. And the food is too foul to be even touched. And here's a Here's a, here's a kicker. Too raw to even eat. So they're giving them poor food and water the, the, and housing, the basic needs for people. That's what, what's happening to these migrant families. Uh, children that are unaccompanied now are also being sent to a detention center where they used to be sent to a host family or a sponsor family or to a um, halfway house. They are now being detained um, and kept in close place, close to each other, which could run uh, the risk of the coronavirus right now. And they're being denied soap, toothpaste, and showers. These are the six, seven, eight-year-olds that Bush Sr. was talking about. He didn't want them to feel like they were illegal. What do they feel like now? They are wearing clothes, they said, that are caked with snot and tears and caring for infants they've just met. And children are dying in this. They're dying. And over 11,000 are being held today. Right? And the head of the, of the uh, Customs and Border Protection for Trump administration says this on Fox. He says this. He calls them so-called minors. So saying they're faking being minors. But, you know, a lot of them are seven, eight, nine years old. And that they're soon be members of MS-13, and he can tell by the look in their eyes. So Trump sees them as an invasion. So much so in 2018, he sent 5,200 troops. Remember back in the 50s, they didn't see the case of using military. They brought 5,200 troops Weeks before the caravan was coming, and this is about a week before the election, um, 
and he claimed that there were terrorists in that caravan and the military was needed at the border. Welcome to another Be Inspired moment. And I want to use, use a quote from one of my favorite rappers, Tupac. And this quote is, says this, Pay no mind to those who talk behind your back. It simply means that you are two steps ahead. Powerful, right? That sometimes we find ourselves stressing about what people think about us and what they're saying behind our backs, that we forget to focus on where we're going and where we're at. And we have to understand that we are normally ahead of the people who have a problem with us. And their problem with us is the idea of your success, that where you're going. And what they really want to do is pull you back a couple steps. And the best way to do that is to get you to look behind, to to worry about what people are saying, to worry about how people think about you, and to worry about their race in life. And you have to understand that you miss opportunities when you look at what other people are saying about you. And you have to realize that they are simply trying to slow you down. So don't allow them to slow you down. Keep moving forward and don't worry about people behind you. Just worry about what's in front of you. When I think of anti-immigration, I think of the episode from Twilight Zone, The Gift. I won't go over the episode, but I'll tell you the final words and narration that Rod Sterling utters. He says the sickness is fear and the cure is faith. We have to have faith in something greater than us. We have to have faith in humanity. We have to try to understand each other and realize that people aren't bringing diseases. They're not rapists. They're not drug dealers. They're actually good people and they have a gift for us. And that gift is culture, hard work, possibly creating businesses and jobs for others, and most importantly, adding to America. No, Trump has not built that physical wall that we already have in America, but he's built a wall of policies that's making it much more difficult for people to be people to migrate to a better opportunity. And we have to stop listening to stereotypes and understand a person cannot be illegal. God bless. Have a great week. And I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things. Yeah, yeah. I'm not afraid of the moment. I'm not afraid I can't hold it. I gotta show him. Gotta get up in the morning. I gotta do it for Kobe.